0: Chapter fourteen of Life of Dorothea Lynde Dix by Frances Tiffany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen The Burden Growing Heavier. Among the inevitable burdens now precipitated on the shoulders of a woman as frail in body as Miss Dix, no slight additional and one grew out of the fact that so great was the confidence reposed in her practical ability that again and again, after having, at a great tax on her strength, carried a bill through a legislature, she was farther urged to shoulder the responsibility of selecting a fit site for the projected asylum, and of deciding on the character of the buildings to be erected it was a task she was unwilling to decline for in the widespread ignorance prevailing in those days she clearly saw how easily the successful working of a hospital might be made or marred by the nature of its location or its plan of construction in fact a hundred questions had to be raised and wisely answered was the soil wet or dry was it adapted to furnish the patients with fit outdoor work was there an abundant supply of pure water was there due variety of sunshine and shade was the location easily accessible by rail or water for the delivery of fuel and provisions finally were the surroundings attractive and the scenery of a character to minister through its charm to a mind diseased all these were problems demanding careful observation and to the end of wisely solving them miss Dix kept herself in constant touch with the class of exceptionally able experts who as superintendents were now steadily evolving the plans for which a period of many years were to make the American insane asylums the model asylums of the civilized world. As early as the date, in 1845, of her success in securing the foundation of a hospital at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Mr. James Leslie had written her, quote, you may rest assured that to mister trago, as to all the other commissioners, your wishes on the subject of site and buildings will be law. He declared that no man nor woman other than yourself from Maine to Louisiana could have passed the bill under the discouraging circumstances with which you had to contend. End quote. Of the delight indeed she at first took in the additional labor thus imposed on her, she writes in a spirit of fairly girlish exuberance to her friend Miss Heath quote, My farm is much light, and it would not be surprising if I should throw up a tabernacle inwoven with green branches, and count the bricks as they are placed one upon another till the fabric be complete. End quote. To the dew and freshness of the early morning, however, there inevitably succeeds the heat and burden of the day, and this contrasting experience Miss Dix was destined to encounter in many trying ways as time wore on. A sight once judiciously chosen for the real end in view, then too often began the worst tug-of-war. As a rule... Real estate transactions react hardly more felicitously in bringing out the higher attributes of human nature than, as is traditionally asserted, does the trading of horses. Miss Dix naturally wanted the best procurable site for the benefit of the patients. The owner of the site wanted the best procurable price for his own benefit miss dix did her best to ignore all local questions of the town or county that was to be pecuniarily helped by the establishment of an asylum within its borders the town or county on the contrary did its best to have this made the first consideration nor was this all rich proprietors of country seats with stronger prejudices against madhouses than even against pauper burial-fields, banded together with all the power of wealth and influence to keep every such institution out of their neighborhoods. Thus continually was she brought into sharp collision with some of the most distasteful features in human nature. In the state of Maryland, for example— She, on this last especial score, found herself subjected to very rude and offensive treatment at the hands of certain wealthy landowners. So high, however, was the respect in which she was held, and so dignified, even while immovable as a rock, was her demeanour, that here, as elsewhere, a reaction set in, when it was seen how disinterestedly she stood for the cause of mercy, while her opponents stood solely for considerations of personal selfishness. Thus, from Annapolis, Maryland, her stanch friend, Hon. Thomas Donaldson, was soon able to write her, There is a soul of goodness in things evil and you have reason to thank the malice of your opponents for the substantial aid which they have given to the cause you advocate the attack of coming from a masked battery too has raised you up friends that before were opponents and has added the impulse of indignation to the cool convictions of your friends the hospital never was so strong in the legislature of maryland the letter of tecle wallace printed in the appendix of the report is really admirable and it tells with great effect here every sentence cuts as cleverly and as cleanly as the saladin's sword end quote. at times nonetheless There grew out of these selfish and sordid complications, incidents so honorable to human nature, and so strikingly illustrative of the persuasive moral eloquence of the subject of this biography, that it is a delight to record them. Such a one is the following. No one who has ever visited the hospital for the insane of the Army and Navy at Washington, D.C., could have set foot within its grounds without exclaiming, this is the ideal site for an asylum. Situated at the junction of two broad and noble rivers, the Potomac and the East Branch, commanding a superb view by land and water, gently sloping on all sides from its highest elevation so as to secure perfect drainage and embracing within its bounds the most varied charm of wood and pasture it seems to unite every conceivable advantage now at the date of the passage by congress in 1852 of an appropriation for founding an asylum for the insane of the army and navy this beautiful domain was the private property of mr thomas blagden and in carefully examining the whole country surrounding washington dr john h nichols who had labored indefatigably toward the passage of the bill had made up his mind that there was no other sight at all comparable with it mr Blagden, however turned a deaf ear to every proposition on the part of dr nichols to buy it the estate had become endeared to him through the exceptional beauty of its situation and was moreover the especial pride of his wife and daughters Besides, the full amount appropriated by Congress for the purchase of a site was but twenty-five thousand dollars, and on no consideration Mr. Blagden insisted would he part with the property at less than forty thousand dollars. One day, after having exhausted every personal effort, and thoroughly depressed in spirits, Dr. Nichols went in to see Miss Dix. "'There is nothing more to be done,' he exclaimed. "'We shall have to give the matter up, "'and it is the finest sight for a hospital in the world.' "'Miss Dix listened without excitement, "'and then replied in her usual quiet tone, "'We must try what can be done.' "'Seeking a personal interview with Mr. Blagden, "'so earnestly and movingly did she reason with him to surrender for the future good of thousands of his suffering fellow-creatures what was so precious, indeed, to him and his family, but to one household only, that the appeal proved irresistible, and he gave her his promise of the estate at the amount appropriated by Congress. Nonetheless, the parting with it cost him a fearful wrench for on dr Nicholls calling on him the next day with the requisite papers to sign mr blagden was found walking the room to and fro weeping and wringing his hands in a half hysteric condition i don't want to part with it he kept reiterating it is dear to me and dear to my family but i won't break my word to miss dix i won't break my word I told her she should have it, and she shall have it. Such scenes as this do honor to human nature. Indeed, it would be hard to instance a more beautiful tribute to the power of consecrated womanhood than is embodied in the following letter, so simple, hushed, and awestruck in its tone, sent to Miss Dix by Mr. Blagden, THE EVENING OF THE DAY ON WHICH SHE HAD THUS CLOSED IN, IN JACOB'S ANGEL WRESTLE WITH HIS DEEPEST NATURE. QUOTE. WASHINGTON, November 13, 1852. DEAR MADAM, SINCE SEEING YOU TODAY, I HAVE HAD NO OTHER OPINION, AND MRS. B. ALSO, THAN THAT I MUST NOT STAND BETWEEN YOU AND THE BELOVED FARM regarding you, as I do, as the instrument in the hands of God to secure this very spot for the unfortunates whose best earthly friend you are, and believing sincerely that the Almighty's blessing will not rest on, nor abide with, those who may place obstacles in your way. With Mrs. Blagden's and my own most friendly regards— very respectfully, your obedient servant, Thomas Blagden. Onerous and exacting as were the responsibilities thus imposed on Miss Dix through the appeals now constantly made to her by officials of the many states in which she had secured appropriations for asylums, to assume the further task of advising with the commissioners on all matters of selection of sites and plans of construction, still even these grave burdens were, perhaps, exceeded in weight by another class of duties, soon inevitably thrust upon her. What had she really been bringing about through this series of unexampled legislative successes? nothing less than the actual creation within the United States of the conditions for the foundations and development of a great school of trained experts in the treatment of insanity. Before those ten or twelve years of rapid Napoleonic victories, there had existed, except in a few scattered places, neither the call nor the opportunity for practically enlisting AND DEPLOYING THIS ESPECIAL ORDER OF MEDICAL TALENT. NOW FAST GREW UP A WIDE DEMAND FOR IT, A GREAT SCHOOL OF PRACTICE IN WHICH TO ACQUIRE AND EXERCISE THE REQUISITE KNOWLEDGE AND SKILL. THE ATTENTION OF LARGE NUMBERS OF ABLE MEDICAL MINDS WAS THUS TURNED IN A NEW DIRECTION AND SOLICITED TO A NEW FIELD who should be superintendents assistant physicians stewards attendants and nurses in all these fast springing up asylums on wise and judicious appointments hung the whole success of the new undertaking what more natural then than that in these as yet inexperienced states "'governors and legislatures should turn for counsel "'to the woman whose commanding moral genius "'had summoned into being so many new institutions. "'Steadily the amount of patronage placed in her hands "'grew in volume, "'and here her remarkable judgment of character and capacity "'revealed itself in its full strength.' it is the responsible privilege of a biographer to go through an immense mass of papers the contents of which are of too private a character to be made known to the public perfectly allowable however is it to say here that a list so large could be drawn up of men later on achieving a national reputation as authorities on insanity who, in these and subsequent years, owed their appointments solely to the recommendation of Miss Dix, that the number and character of the names on it would awaken widespread surprise. Very rich was life now becoming to Miss Dix in human relationships, which in a measure relieved the strain put upon her by the more arduous and painful side of her work her range of acquaintance with the best men and women in all parts of the land had grown to be immense and homeless herself she was everywhere welcomed under their roofs she had filled life with new zest to many who but for her leadership would have found no avenue of usefulness open to them and as the nature of her work involved the enlistment OF THE LARGEST POSSIBLE NUMBER OF CO-WORKERS, TO HELP ADD ATTRACTION TO THE AT FIRST bare AND UNHOMELIKE ASYLUM WARDS, SHE SUFFERED NO CHANCE TO PASS OF STIMULATING THEM TO CONTRIBUTIONS OF ALL KINDS. EVEN ON THE CHILDREN OF THE VARIOUS HOMES SHE VISITED, SHE NEVER FAILED TO IMPRESS THE IDEA OF HOW MUCH THEY COULD DO IN AID OF THE BLESSED CAUSE. Old toys, puzzles, music-boxes, nodding Chinese mandarins, collections of minerals, seaweeds, pressed flowers, butterflies, eggs, birds' nests. Nothing, she showed them, would come amiss in the way of amusing poor, demented patients and turning their minds away from their melancholy broodings numberless the prized collections that under the spell of her persuasive eloquence were thus surrendered by little boys and girls as equally numberless the juvenile tears that were shed after the spell of that eloquence was withdrawn and the instincts of the sweetness of private ownership revived in their little breasts amusing stories are to this day told by persons now well advanced in years of the miserly eagerness with which as boys and girls they secreted days ahead their precious treasures on the alarming news being revealed to them that miss dix was expected in the house indeed it may be seriously questioned whether sometimes a deep-rooted repugnance to charity and all its works was not thus lodged in certain of their minds through demands for a pitch of self-sacrifice beyond the immaturity of view as to the sacred claims of insanity usually prevalent at the age of six or eight. A simple impossibility was it that a character of the steady intensity and force of will, which alone rendered possible such a career as that of Miss Dix, should not at times have inspired a certain sense of awe. The pace at which great souls go takes away the breath of average mortals, and they cry out at the strain that is put on their feebler powers. And yet, in the way of illustration, of how completely closer intercourse with her served to dispel this fear the following letter from mrs louisa j hall widow of the late rev edward b hall d d of providence rhode island gives a charming picture the letter was written in answer to a request for any recollections she might feel inclined to furnish of the far away days when she was brought into personal contact with miss dix quote cambridge mass may 17 1889 i think it was in 1844 that my husband came to me in the nursery and said miss dix was below i declined going down thinking she had merely called to consult him "'No, she had come to stay all night "'and would like to see me in the nursery. "'I thought it an unceremonious proceeding, "'did not like a woman that went about a self-appointed critic, "'had heard that she was cross when she kept school, "'and I was a prejudiced woman, shame to me. "'She made her appearance, "'and one look at that calm, gentle face had its effect.' Then ONLY A WORD OF ladylike APOLOGY IN A SWEET LOW VOICE, AND I BEGAN TO FEEL THE GIFT SHE HAD. I WAS MENDING MY BOY'S SOCKS, AND SHE QUIETLY TOOK UP ONE, AND BEGAN DARNING WITH A SKILLFUL HAND, TALKING MOST PLEASANTLY OF THE BEAUTIFUL CITY OF PROVIDENCE, AND OF SOME BOSTON MINISTER WE BOTH KNEW. For two hours we sat together, and not one word about the insane or her mission, when I had anticipated that she would talk of nothing else. This foolish, obstinate, conservative was conquered by the force of that beautiful, strong nature shining through a genuine womanhood. After dinner she said to my husband, "'Now I am at your service.' and he immediately took her to see some persons interested in her work. She stayed some days with us, never introducing the subject, but ready to give information and tell us of facts that made us bless the day she was born and the day when she found what work the Lord had had for her. As I am a thorough woman, you must let me speak of her dress, She traveled all over the country with a moderate valise in her hand and wearing a plain gray traveling dress with snow-white collar and cuffs. Her trunk was sent a week ahead with the necessary changes of linen, etc., and one plain black silk dress for special occasions. Neatness in everything indicated her well-directed mind and my acquaintance with her helped me on the upward way from extreme conservatism these opposing sides of the impression made on others by miss Dix, the impression on the one hand of a certain rigid inflexibility a certain self-withdrawn and awe-inspiring element in her nature and on the other of a winning sweetness when the fountains of feeling were broken up from within, were inevitably felt by all who came in contact with her, and were never to the end of life thoroughly harmonized in her nature. Sometimes the one, sometimes the other, stood out separate. On other occasions they were fused in a strong and gracious unity. Her moral will aroused, and at the forefront she was adamant. To have Miss Dix suddenly arrive at your asylum, said the eminent Dr. Isaac Ray of Providence, and find anything neglected or amiss, was considerably worse than an earthquake. Not that she said anything on the spot, but one felt something ominous suspended in the very air then again her sensibilities touched she was overflowing with tenderness and compassion lifelong invalids testified to a power of uplifting sympathy in her as of one over whom all the waves and billows had likewise gone possessed by the rarest few on the great occasions however when these opposing characteristics were molten together in the furnace of the sacred cause for which she alternately pled and flamed at the bar of public bodies, then truly she was irresistible. Thus one seems to be dealing with so many distinct personalities. Those who met her silent and uncommunicative, after the exhaustion of one of her legislative campaigns, passed judgment on her as self-centered and unsocial. Those who felt her soothing touch in the sick-room called her a ministering angel. Those who beheld her organizing victory and riding triumphant over obstacles that would have disheartened the bravest hailed in her a modern Joan of Arc. This diversity of judgment and one of the natural reasons for it, find striking expression in the following extract from a beautiful memorial tribute written for the Home Journal of New York by Mrs. S. C. P. Miller of Princeton, New Jersey, and first printed September eleventh, eighteen 1889. Quote, It was a long time before I could realize that she was indeed a woman having much in common with the rest of us. I saw her only when she was strong and self-collected, and believed that to be her normal condition. But there came a day when I got a new insight into her nature. I was in Richmond, and she, on a mission farther south, halted there, and sent a note for me to come and see her. I went to the hotel immediately, was ushered into her room, and there found such a Miss Dix as I had never dreamed of. Overstrain of mind and body, destroying her calm exterior and bearing away the support of her high purpose, had left her stretched upon a sofa, utterly weak, nervous and tearful. Not a bit of the heroism was left, only the tried woman of a type I knew full well. Amazed at her condition, I bent over her with a tenderness before unknown, and a new bond of sympathy was established between us. So strange is it, yet so true, that tears bring all women to the same level." and yet when at the lowest point of physical prostration miss dix could herself write to a friend i shall be well enough when i get to kentucky or alabama the tonic i need is the tonic of opposition that always sets me on my feet among the many persons of distinction with whom at this period of her career Miss Dix came in intimate contact, was the once famous Swedish novelist, Frederica Bremer, then on a visit to the United States. Herself suffering from exhaustion brought on by overwork, and on the edge of utter collapse, Miss Bremer felt strongly drawn to the especial type of ministering angel whose life had been consecrated to the victims of nervous wreck of the various letters she addressed from point to point to her american friend there are two or three which throw such light both on the impression made on her by the personality of mystics and on the nature of the far-reaching schemes of benevolent action outside of her own country already engaging the ardent mind of the latter as to be well worthy of introduction here coney island near new york august eighteen fifty there now she comes heaping burning not coals but flowers on my guilty head alas dear mystics not so guilty as poor in carrying out by the hand the heart and thought dictate. I am now about to start for my western journey, and am full of gratitude for the delightful memories that I have gathered both in the north and south from both man and nature. Not the least delightful of these is that of a moonlight evening on the shores of the Patapsco and the Chesapeake Bay where I heard the story of a simple life beginning as the river before me from a little stream born of a heavenly fountain, and widening, widening, as it ran forth through the valleys and fields and cities to a large rich water, opening to mingle with the waters of the ocean, and blessing and bearing fruit to every shore, as it went along in the still night, looked upon alone by the clear light of heaven. That life and the river and the moonlight have become one image in my soul, and a bright and blessed spot it remains there to be looked upon, to be enjoyed, many a time during the flying and trying years of life." in a second letter however written by miss brummer november second eighteen fifty from cincinnati ohio a cloud has come across the fair sky and the writer is found taking decided stand against a project already shaping itself in miss Dix's mind the project namely that when she should have finished her immediate work in america through the successful foundation of asylums in the various states, she would seek a new field of labor in Europe, and especially in those parts of it where the treatment of insanity was in the most backward condition. To Frederica Bremer, the idea of any good being effected in the way of awakening the people of Sweden to a sense of their duties toward any class of their own population by a foreigner and above all a foreigner entirely ignorant of the language seemed wholly romantic her national pride took offence at the bare proposition as equally did that of the swedish nightingale jenny lind feebly however did she measure the heroic spirit and range of mind of the woman whose later career was so marvelously to illustrate the truth that god has made of one blood all the dwellers on the earth and that faith and love find easy flight over every barrier of sea mountain language race or religious creed still Frederica Bremer's sensitiveness was natural enough to average restricted humanity. Only she forgot that the Chinese wall, to which she will be found alluding, dated back to an antiquated order of military defenses, regarded by her invincible friend as only fit to keep out Tartars. Quote, Cincinnati, Ohio november second eighteen fifty sweden lacks neither good will nor means what is wanted there is energy and impulse of will and that a foreigner unknown in the country and herself not knowing its language and forms of government could not give jenny lind is right in that opinion as things now stand it would be easier for you to climb the chinese wall than to work any good personally for the unfortunate insane in sweden but believe me dear miss dix what you have done what you are doing in america will when properly disclosed as it ought to be and must be to sweden work more for a bettering of the insane asylums there than a gift of ten millions could in their behalf. The power of the idea and the power of example are the great movers of our time, and go from heart to heart, from land to land with electric shock. Most thankful am I, dear Miss Dix, for the interest you express for me and my health. Thank God I am very well now, You certainly need more to take care of your health than I now of mine. But you are as a general on a battlefield and cannot care for life till the battle is over and victory won. May it be soon for you." In Miss Bremer's third letter, written the following year from the island of Cuba, she makes ample amends. All wounds of aggrieved national pride are now healed, and in a realm of free imagination, from which all prosaic obstacles of alien languages and forms of government are eliminated, she creates for Miss Dix an ideal utopia over which she shall be installed as queen. St. Amelia Estate, Cuba, March 17th, 1851. If I had rule on earth, Cuba, this beautiful Antilles, should be transformed into a great maison de Santé, a home for the sickly and feeble. There they should sit in their rocking chairs, under the palms and tamarins, and breathe the delightful air of this island, which I cannot think was better in paradise, be caressed by the soft loving breeze, and drink in it, as in Olympian nectar, new health, new life. And you should be the queen here, and have a cabinet of ladies, kind and beautiful, such as I know several in the United States, who should chiefly officiate as nurses for the sick, as noble Valkyries and healing goddesses for those slain or wounded in the battle of life. Quote. Not unlikely the majority of readers of this last letter would set down Frederica Bremer as a far more imaginative woman than Dorothea Lynde Dix so widely is genuine constructive power of imagination confused with the activity of a mere dreamy fancy that the number is legion who think a more vigorous exercise of the faculty divine demanded for the creation of an airy ideal utopia like this than for first summoning before the mind's eye and then substantializing in massive buildings and wide-ranging farms, parks, and gardens, the actual retreats from a harsh and cruel world, which Miss Dix provided for such hosts of sufferers. In reality, the noble Valkyries, of whom Frederica Bremer speaks, healing goddesses for those slain or wounded in the battle of life, were far more profoundly conceived than by herself by the heroic woman to whom she wrote. She knew, out of stern experience, that the true valkyries are fateful and awful powers, who must first stride the blast and sweep to the rescue through the din and shrieks of the battlefield, before they can think to reach, and bear off in their arms, to the Valhalla of rest, the fallen warriors trampled in dust and blood. End of chapter 14